traveling the world searching for equestrians of all breeds. The journey starts now on the International Equine Network. Good afternoon, Stormy Horse people from here in South Florida. We're getting some weather action here today. A lot of different things going on here, up and down. Electric on and off, rain, rain, water everywhere. But other than that, we're doing good. Um, we have a lot to go over here. We're going to catch up on some things. We had some uh, issues last week that uh, we couldn't get a live show on. Uh, it, it was difficult. A lot of horse issues that we had. But um, we got a, a good thing coming up here for the spring. Um, a lot of the things that uh, we talk about on the show and everything about uh, how they get there, the 2024 Kentucky Derby, um, you know, that, that project is in moving now, moving right along. And, and it's starting to get interesting. None, none of the uh, qualify um, uh, Derby points races have been run yet. That won't happen until September. So we're, we're looking forward to that. But a lot of the owners and trainers are sitting down now thinking about uh, what they're going to do and how they're going to do it and if they're going to use a homebred to, uh, you know, start pointing towards the uh, Florida Derby. They've gone through pretty much all their two-year-olds now and selected the ones that they thought that might be, uh, um, you know, ready to go uh, for the Derby or try to get there, you know, just get them on that road of how they get to the Derby. And so that's what they're going through. And, and for some of the owners that haven't had, um, didn't have a horse yet, or, you know, they're looking to purchase a horse, uh, that's what we're looking at now uh, with these horses. And it's kind of interesting. Um, the, the sales, uh, are where they're at now. They're, they're going to the, uh, uh, the June mid Atlantic sales, uh, two year olds in training. Uh, that's uh, Wednesday, uh, June 28, 2023 at 3 p.m. The under tax show is June 27th at 8 a.m. in Timonium, Maryland. And let me tell you, there's a lot of good horses here uh, in the sales. Uh, we've got quite a few uh, uh, in training sales that will be coming up here in the future. Um, there's one uh, that's kind of interesting. It's a September 26th sale at Fasic Tipton. It's a... Uh, uh, fall, uh, California fall yearlings and horses of racing age. So that means that you can go in there and, and literally maybe find a two year old that's ready to go. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see, uh, you know, what, what's in that race, but that's uh, September 26th that they'll have that and that'll be in California. Uh, so, uh, entries are closed, uh, closed September 5th. So a lot of these guys that get some horses, two year olds and, that look like they might do good. They try to try to get them into a sale like that. Uh, so, you know, I, I tell you, I, I kind of like those uh, in training sale races. You kind of see where they're at. They've kind of gotten over some of the little issues they might've had, uh, you know, going in, into training as a two year old and somebody else is paying the bill for them, not you. So some of these sales are really, really good, you know, to go to. Um, I tell you, in the Mid-Atlantic sales, there, there's some nice horses here, uh, real nice horses. And I, I think if, if I were uh, going to buy a horse, I think I would take a quick look at, at the catalog that they have. Uh, you can come to the website, intre.org, and you can catch that, uh, um, that uh, uh, sales catalog on there. And, and I tell you, you know, 
it's hard right now to really kind of get your niche into the sale. Um, and it's just, you know, there's not that aura of, uh, of, um, you know, uh, derby fever, preakness fever, you know, that, that type of thing. There's not, there's not that much there. And, um, it's kind of interesting for owners to see how they think. Do they go out and actually look at the horses that are in training? Uh, what do they do? Uh, do they get with their trainer? Uh, what do they do? You know, it, it's, that's one thing that we're going to try to get into the mind of some of these, uh, owners and trainers on what they can do, uh, you know, as far as buying a horse is concerned. Uh, you know, you might, something like at One Star Farm, uh, for example, they got a nice training track at One Star and, and, uh, Elliot Walden runs a great, sh- uh, show there. Uh, you know, they get a lot of the horses hands on every day as young horses, as two year olds. They break a lot of horses. Uh, they do a lot of things, you know, to find out if the horses are going to be good for them and, and everything. They ultrasound the, the heart and the lungs. They ultrasound the legs to, you know, make sure they're going to be, have a good steady foundation to work with. And, and it's, uh, it's a long, long process on how they get there. And, and then you got so many things, but you got to start with that horse. And this is the time of year that you start looking at those horses. You start critiquing horses. You start, uh, to see, uh, how well they're training, if they're gaining weight, if they're showing any, uh, you know, talent, uh, you know, they're starting to learn how to be a racehorse. And, and that's the good part about, uh, having control over the horses that you have, like they do, like at One Star and, and a lot of other farms. Um, then you know where, where they're going and how they're going and can make your decisions along that line. Now, uh, a lot of times, once you get that done, you know, you just hope that nothing happens, you know, to the horses, that they uh, progress and they grow and they grow into being a racehorse. And and this is the second problem that the owner has. And I'm telling you, man, th- this has really become an issue. And this issue that we have now in the horse business is safety. That's safety that we have in the horse business now. And that's something that you just really can't, uh, you know, go up and judge. Uh, you can't do that uh, say, oh, well, you know, I'm not going here because of this and because of that. Uh, you know, it, it's difficult. And so the problem that I have is how do you determine, you know, where you can take a horse to? That, that's my, my, my situation here. And I, I experienced that. This year, actually, I did. Um, we've got one horse that, that he just can't run. You know, we don't know what his problem is. He, physically, he uh, he's good, uh, you know, and he has good days and bad days. And, you know, he's been in some pretty stiff competition over the last couple of years. We're just trying to get him to the races. You know, he's only had four starts. And so trying to figure out that. And then we have a filly. Um, a filly is a nice filly. Uh, you know, I, I was really, uh, impressed with what she does and, and how she does it. She's an intimacy filly. And then she, uh, fractured a knee, uh, what they call a slab fracture. And so now, you know, we're looking at her and, and she's been 90 days uh, now off of, uh, uh, training and she's still in the round pen and still trying to get her, get her, you know, uh, body back. It looks like she's going to be end up being a broodmare. 
Now, we're not going to try to push her and, you know, have her do anything that, uh, you know, that she can't do. We, we know that there's an issue, and, and so we really watch it, and, and it's more important to us to, uh, for the horse's health than it is for, you know, us to race her. And, and, you know, she had two wins in a second, so we're happy with that. You know, and she'll probably end up being a broodmare. But that's just showing, you know, the time of year that we're at and trying to get everything, you know, going, all these owners trying to go on. And with the track situations that we've had here lately, it's been terrible. Um, we had a, an issue at Churchill Downs. They had a multitude of horses break down and had to be put down. We've had them at Santa Anita. We've had them, you know, just about all, every track has them, but some, you know, more than, than others, and unfortunately, at Churchill Downs this year, it was doing dur- during Derby Week, and all kinds of accusations were being made about the trainers, uh, you know, not having a fit horse, uh, you know, horse breaking down. They had drug issues, uh, you know, they had all kinds of things that were going on with this, and so I never really rushed to judgment. You know, I, I have to, I have to find out uh, why these why these horses are doing it. You know, what happened to them? You know, was it genetics? Uh, you know, was it uh, medication? Uh, there's all kinds of things that, that it could have been. And so finally they came out with the studies. The Kentucky um, Horse Benevolent Protective Association came out with them. And, uh, uh, you know, they started looking at things. And they said, well, was it the track? Was it the track? They did everything that they could um, to do, uh, um, you know, studies. Uh, tested the dirt. They uh, moved the horses from Churchill to Alice Park. Uh, you know, they did everything they could possibly do to figure out what it was that caused it. So long story short, they came in and they found out that they couldn't say it was a, uh, it, it was the track. You know, they had, um, Churchill has gone through a unique set of circumstances from the end of April through May that involved catastrophic breakdowns of 12 horses. These horses had led, uh, had led to some changes to the, uh, uh, study. Initially began nothing that warrants a preliminary release of results. So that's what they did. They had nothing to really to tell everybody about. Uh, they had nothing at all. And so they went back and they started, they, they did the necropsies. Uh, you know, they, everything was, uh, you know, within the range of uh, regulations. Uh, they did everything. Um, they uh, went out and they tested the soil uh, on the tracks. Uh, they did a little bit of everything uh, that you could possibly do. And the sad part about it is, is the conclusion that they came up with was, you know, a possibility. It could have been, you know, and, and when you see, when you hear that word, it could have been, you know, then you got problems. It could, it could have been med- medication. No, they found out what medication. Could it be the track? No, they found out that it wasn't a track. Uh, you know, so what they did, they tried to figure it all out. And they couldn't come to a conclusion and say, okay, this is why. This is why, and put your finger right on top of it. They couldn't do it. And, and I kind of figured that's the way it was going to come up. 
uh, you know, is, was it the trainer? Was it the horse? Was it the track? Was it the breeding? You know, there's so many things that it could be. And until the horse racing industry uh, sets down and says, okay, this is what we have to look for. This is what we have to test for. You got to have a, a blueprint uh, of, you know, why these horses are breaking down. And same thing with the show horses and standard breads and, in polo ponies, uh, you know, there's a lot of things that need to be taken into consideration. And one of the things that I think that it, it could be, and possibly very, very much could be, is the density of the bone. And the density of the bone has become fairly thin uh, in the horse industry because the breeding is so close, meaning that the, the bloodlines are starting to get close to not to match up and, and you need some fresh, uh, uh, you know, bloodlines interjected into the, um, the horse industry. And I know that there are several people that are coming over, uh, from Europe that are bringing brood mares over and they're, they're going to race them first and, and then there'll be a potential brood mare. And if I, and, and in the breeding end of it, I think that's a good way to go. I think if you see a nice-looking uh, broodmare that's got good confirmation and it's racing well, uh, you know, here in the States and raced well uh, over in Europe, I think if I, uh, if I was in a, a commercial breeding industry, uh, I would be getting these mares and picking them up right away and get a little difference, you know, get a little uh, distance in that, um, uh, in that breeding uh, on my horses. Uh, so, I mean, that's the way I personally think. Uh, you know, I, I could be wrong, I could be right, you know, but the, the point is, is that nobody really knows why our horses are breaking down. You know, is it the training? Uh, is it because they start at a young age? Um, you know, there, there's just so many things that you could have a whole, you know, uh, legal pad full of, um, you know, what could cause those breakdowns. Um, one thing that I was always interested in is they said, um, you know, all oh, the horses in Kentucky, oh, it's got to be Kentucky bred, Kentucky bred, you know. And, and so it sent me to thinking one day, why Kentucky bred? You know, is is it the ground? Is it the way they're raised? Is it the weather? You know, just what what why is it always Kentucky? So then I started really looking at, at, at the statistics and found out that, you know, the statistics of having a horse bred in Kentucky was just overwhelming. You know, and so that that's what I put on, on the top of my list. Where were the horses foaled at? Well, when you have horses foaled, you know, twice as many in Kentucky as you do Florida or New York or, you know, wherever, that, that really throws your statistics, you know, uh, out of whack. And so then, now I'm going back to start seeing how many horses were bred in Kentucky, how many horses were bred, you know, like in Florida, New York, Pennsylvania, or what have you. So that, that's what I start looking at now. So I think that that's a, a good base foundation to start checking out about how these horses are breaking down. You know, and, and it's kind of interesting. Um, you know, you've got, you know, per capita, you, you've got just as many horses breaking down as you do uh, from Kentucky and and uh, Philadelphia, and Pennsylvania and Florida and what have you. You know. It, 
if you take a hundred horses from each, you know, you have about the same amount, you know, um, you know, breaking down. And so now, now we're there. That's step two, you know, as um, uh, in our in our little checklist that we run on, where were they bred at? Okay, so now now we're looking at that, and then what, and then what stage of training were they at? Were they two year olds? Were they three year olds? Four year olds? Uh, were they in New York? Were they in Kentucky, Florida? You know, just where where were these horses at? And, and that's the big thing that you you start looking at. So now we're starting to get a little headway here and, and kind of you know starting to eliminate a lot of different things. Um, then I go back to the um, I go back to the uh, uh, weather. Uh, the weather has a big part of it. Has a big part of how they go, you know. And I, I was saying, oh, Florida, uh, you know, that's the place to be. Oh, California, that's the place to be, uh, you know. And, and it really doesn't make a difference, you know, where they're training at. Uh, I, I found that out real quick this year uh, because a lot of the horses that broke down came from good weather, like they did here in you know, here in Florida, and then some come from Louisiana, where it was raining, Arkansas, New York, Kentucky, you know, that type of thing. So now we're starting to get a little more, you know, specific uh, in why they're breaking down. So after doing that, you know, going through how old were they and, you know, where did they train at and what, you know, what have they done, now I went back to looking at the feed. You know how how these horses were being fed, and you know the trainers that are feeding them, and, you know all the different things that they have. Uh, it was really interesting. Uh, you know, back in the day, it used to be hay, oats, and water. You know, a little barley. You know, in there, some carrots. But nowadays, we got all kinds of feed that these horses are being fed, and you know when they're uh, are they getting the proper nutrients in their feed at the proper time of growth. So in other words, when they get that growing spurt, are they getting, you know, uh, the right feed, the right supplements, the right everything? You know, we don't know that because we don't know how these trainers are feeding, uh, you know, so that, that, may, that makes a big difference, you know, in itself right there. So now, now we're thinking about feed, could that be it? Uh, what's, what point uh, at their training uh, do you adjust their feed? Uh, you know, and that's all. Also, you got to get with your feed dealer, and that's what I like so much about uh, um, hallway feeds. They got everything. They they can tell you everything. So now, you know, I'm starting to look, look into the feeding of, of the horses, and that makes that makes a big difference because when a horse is getting ready to uh, growing and getting ready to start training and and moving on up the ladder. What happens is, like, your bones are very, very, uh, I'm not going to say fragile, but they're sensitive. And when I say they're sensitive, that means that uh, when they start training and, and stressing and, and exercising their bodies, their bodies grow. And when they're growing like they do, it, it damages the bones, bone cells, the bone structure. And, and I don't mean damage like, in, you know, breaking a leg or, you know, anything. They, they, they're damaged or stressed. 
And when they, they start feeling that stress, uh, the body sends antibodies and, and uh, blood, you know, to that area to help, you know, heal that damage that's being done. And, and my theory is is that, you know, if you're stressing a horse over, let's say, a two-year-old goes into training on the 1st of July, you know, and you start training, at what point in time do you give that horse a rest? What time do you give him a rest? You know, do you keep going, uh, you know, 30, 60, 90 days, you know, or do you go 10 days and then, you know, walk a couple of days, then go another 10 days and walk a couple of days, you know, to try to kind of let their bodies heal a little bit, you know, because they are being damaged when they're training and and they're getting all that extra, you know, uh, blood and and antibodies, you know, thrown to, to that area. And then when you do start training them, how do you change their feed? Do you give them supplements to help them, uh, you know, uh, repair their body? Uh, you know, that, that's a big thing right there in itself is teaching a horse how to recover from training. And it's difficult. You know, it's very difficult because every horse is different and there's a lot of different things that you can do with them. You know, and it makes it tough. So now we're to that point. You know, and then they have a thing, what they call buck shins, and that's uh, exactly what we were talking about. Their shins get real sensitive from training, and, you know, sometimes you can't even hardly touch them. And a lot of times what they do is they'll they'll, uh, pen fire the horses uh, back in the day, and, and, you know, they'll they'll uh, help tighten that skin up around around those shins. You know, or do you just turn them out and let it, you uh, uh, you know, repair itself naturally? So all these things that we're talking about now, as you can see, so many variety, you know, from feed to training to, you know, uh, how they're being, um, how they break them, you know, to, to the saddle and get them to go. There's just so many things that are being thrown on the horse's body now that, you know, you have a hard time dealing with, you know. So now that, that's what we're looking at. So now we're getting way six months, we're six months into the training and, and you know, we have to start getting down to serious, you know, training. Uh, type of thing. So, you know, that's what you go through there. And after you evaluate everything, then you, you know, know when to step it up and, you know, how long it's going to be before you get them trained and, you know, so forth and so on. So that's why I like the two-year-old in training sales is because you don't have to go through all that. Somebody else has already gone through it, you know, and you're getting what you see. And, and that's a for sure real deal, you know, as you're going to those sales and you get what they what you see. And you can take them out of that sales and, and, you know, hopefully they, their legs are still good and they're not all, you know, uh, beat up from training and, and everything. So, you know, that's where you're at. So now you, you buy your horse and then you get the horse on, onto the trail, onto the derby trail and, or to the show horse trail or to, or to the Hamiltonian. And that's the great thing about this, uh, my theory. And the only great thing about my theory is I think it's great. Nobody else probably does, but I think it's great. It, it, it opens up a lot of doors. It opens up a lot of doors for your show horse uh, or, or, you know, standard bread or what have you. And, and in comparison, like the thoroughbred's uh, life is, is uh, you know, on the track is pretty short, three to four-year-olds, you know, and then, you know, you're done. they race two, three, and four, hopefully into the four, four-year-old year. And they're pretty much they're retired either to breeding, 
you know, or they're retired to show horses, you know, or, or you know, just riding the horses, you know, that type of thing. So that that's that's the it's quick, it's short and quick with the thoroughbreds. But by comparison, show horses are not going down to catastrophic injury or standard breads either. And, and this is the reason why I think they don't break down as much as thoroughbreds do. One, show horses that you see showing now, they have a long, long, long uh, series of of uh, things that they have to do to get uh, trained to um, show. So in other words, it's highly unlikely to see a real good four- or five-year-old or even six-year-old show horse. Uh, it's reputation. It's day in, day in, and day out. And horses are, are you know, uh, creatures of habit. And, and so they go out and, and they train for could train for two, three years before they really start getting into the showing end of it. Uh, you know, they train a lot, and it's a long, long, tedious process. And like I said, they don't get good until they're, you know, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, you know, that type of thing. And that's a lot of training, eight, seven, eight years of training, you know, just to start getting where you need to go, uh, you know, with your show horse. The same thing with the, uh, with the standard breads. Uh, the standard bread... And they they come along pretty quick. I mean, they're racing at two, three, four year old, but you see a lot of them. Most of them are really, you know, a little bit older uh, than than uh, you know the thoroughbreds. Uh, they get they get pretty up there and get good when they're five, six, seven, eight years old. And, and that's one of the standard breads. And then the way they train too, they train uh, uh, tremendous uh, miles. You know, three, four miles a day sometimes, uh, you know, I've been told that they get up there. They, they spend a lot of time on the track. And so having said that about the show horses and the uh, standard breads, that leads me to think that um, the stressing and the damage, and, and, and I hate using that word damage, uh, you know, the stressing of, of the bones, uh, they're, they're constantly in a repair syndrome. And so I think they, they slow down on the training and back off of the, on the training. And then what they do is they're getting those bones are being set. You know, they're, they're, they're solid. They're, they're heavy duty. You know, they're ready to go. So that, that's one thing that uh, I, I think that uh, we can look at. And same thing with the quarter horses. AQHA uh, has, has some good stories on uh, how old some of the horses are. And so that's the big difference I see is the fact that that uh, thoroughbreds are thrown into into a bus saw right off the bat, and they're only going to be you know uh, in training for racing the, the you know two three four year old maybe maybe four year olds, but you know like I said most of them go on and have good careers at, at other things like showing or you know just pleasure riding or what have you. So now. <laughs> That's a lot of stuff that we've done. We've talked, we've covered about two years worth of, of possibilities there with the thoroughbreds. But I'll get to my point here in about 10 minutes uh, while we're talking about this. And so now uh, everybody's, you know, oh, what if he breaks down? What, what, what about this? What about that? And of course, you know, when you're at the you know, Churchill Downs in the Kentucky Derby, you're sitting there going, like, holy cow, you know, uh, our, our, 
time in the spotlight and, you know, this has to happen now. So, you know, those things do happen. And also, but now getting back to uh, what's causing this, what could be causing this, is I don't think that we really are going to be able to put our finger on why a horse breaks down. I don't think we'll be able to do that. Uh, and the reason I say that is, is because uh, you can, a horse can take a bad step on the track. Um, you know, there's just all kinds of things that could happen to the horse that we don't know about. And we can't really put our finger. It would be nice if we could go back and say, okay, you know, we're going to run today. You know, everything's good. We ultrasounded him. You know, everything looks good. You know, we're ready to go. He gets out on the track. He takes a bad step, gets bumped, gets, you know, off stride, you know, boom, they go down. You know, we really can't say what makes, you know, that horse go down. We've done necropsies. Uh, we've done just about any and everything that, that we could do to see why they, why they go down. And so my theory is, is that until we start uh, carrying what we call a passport uh, here at, um, uh, International Equine Network. Uh, you have to log and put everything in involved into your horse, and that's um, and that's why there's some companies out there now that have some uh, computer programs that you can come in and uh, uh, show safe is one of them. Um, it, it records you record the feed. You record everything. You know, you can put down the temperature, you can put down the weather conditions, and, you know, you can do all these different things, you know, with your horse. And I think that's where the big thing is, is you got to document what that horse goes through every day in, a, in an equine diary. Uh, you know, that's what you need to do. And I think that'll help uh, a lot of, uh, uh, you know, decisions be made over what, you know, is going on with the horses. Because the more information you have, the, I'm not going to say you're going to find out why they break down. You know, I'm just saying you're just going to find out, you know, what what could have done, what could have happened. Um, you know, we don't know uh, if there was a hole in the track and the horse took a bad step. Um, you know, if there was a, an old horseshoe down deep in the dirt, uh, took a bad step. Uh, there's just so many things, you know, that, that, you know, we could say that happened to these guys when they're out running. And uh, we're not going to be able to put our finger on it, you know, immediately, if ever. You know, the only thing we can do is make sure that we have safe racetracks, safe training tracks, safe conditions all the way around for the horses. That's the only thing that we can do. As long as we do all those things, we've done everything that we've possibly could do, you know, on doing this. And one thing that I like to see is uh, um, is has suggested that every track has a uh, safety uh, secretary or safety, uh, you know, head of safety there. And, and they can monitor the tracks, you know, every day. Uh, was the track muddy? Was it hot? Was it cold? Uh, you know, was the track herald, you know, properly? You know, you can you can start logging all those informations in, and that's really going to help. And I think that's the only way that we're going to find out, you know, the possibility of, you know, straightening out the 
uh, horses that are that are actually uh, you know going down on the tracking, and we might not be uh, ever be able to do that. You know, it might not ever happen. It just might be one of those things that you know you got to do what you got to do. You know, and, and it could very well happen. Hopefully, it doesn't happen. Hopefully, we can improve the safety, you know, of, of the horse and safety of the jockeys and all the people that are involved in, in, the, in the situation. But that, that's my look at it. Um, we just need to gather a lot of information. And the first part of the information that we have to gather is what do we list on the list? You know, we could put down 30 different uh, uh, segments. You know, uh, you know, on the horse, feed, track. You know where they were raised, how they were, how they broke them, uh, kind of shoes they're wearing. Uh, you know, that, that's going to be a list in itself, but it's going to be quite simple because uh, we pretty much know what the horses do every day and how they get it, and so we go from there. But um, you know, I, I was just saying uh, yesterday that the horse business is so good. It is so good to the people. We got new people that are getting into the business from places like myracehorse.com, uh, you know, where you, uh, get into a syndicate and, uh, you know, you, you own a little piece of it and, and you can go to the races and you, you're just like an uh, owner that owns 99% of the horse. And that's what I like about myracehorse.com. They got a lot of good trainers out there. Uh, they're doing a lot, uh, they're doing a lot for the industry. And the economics uh, that the uh, horse racing and horse showing bring it to, to everybody is just unbelievable. Uh, like at the World Equestrian Center, you know, up in Ocala, it's huge. They got, I think they've got three hotels up there now. Uh, they've got any and everything that you could possibly want, you know, uh, for horses, for show horses. And, uh, you know, and, and, and they're thriving. they got people come. It's like Disney World up there. Uh, and same thing here at Wellington. It's just like Disney World, you know, for horse people. And so, you know, that's going good. Um, the standard bread business is really getting, it's always been big in Europe. Always been big in Europe. And now they're just huge, you know. They're stepping up here, here in the States. And I want to set people's mind at ease. There are some tracks that have closed, that have closed. And, and it's, about, it's, it's about time that somebody stands up and says, okay, this is what we got to do. A lot of the places that are closing in the standard bread industry are not producing a product that is sought out by the general public. That's the honest to God truth. They're, they're biting the, they're biting the dust right and left because they're not putting on the show, you know, for the people like they're doing at uh, Belmont Park, like they do at Del Mar, like they do at Churchill, Keeneland, uh, you know, Saratoga. And, and, and some of the things that, you know, that you could be doing and people get into, into here is like, um, uh, for example, up at Saratoga this year, uh, July 21st, they have a, a they got a, uh, they give to everybody with a free admission. Uh, they have the um, cooler jug. It's a nice uh, jug that you can take around with you, carry water everywhere. Not too big, not too small, but enough to get the job done. Then they have the dry fit T-shirt um, that is on August 11th, 
Um, it, it's a Saratoga T-shirt. It's got the Saratoga emblem on it. Uh, so and so does the uh, the water cooler. Um, the bucket hat uh, is August 18th. Uh, you know, if you're out in the sun a lot, everything this bucket hat will fit. You know, keep you protected. And then uh, in September 1st, the one everybody goes for is the Saratoga tote bag. Uh, it's uh, you get one with each uh, free admission uh, when you come in. And, you know, the um, thing that really gets me is years ago they Saratoga had a they would give out a, a wall clock, and it was about a nine inch wall clock. Yeah, battery operated. Batteries weren't included. But uh, let me tell you, people would go up there on Clock Bay, and those people, they they go pay their admission, their dollar admission, and go through. And then uh, they would come back and uh, go through again. And I saw people, five or six of them going through. Oh, I hope you can hear that thunder and lightning. Um, but uh, they would go through Saratoga four or five times. And so I was curious one day, and I asked a lady, I said, ma'am, I said, you got six clocks there. I said, you know, what What do you do with them? She says, oh, honey, she says, those are kiss, Christmas gifts and birthday presents. She said, you can't beat it. She said, I got a good day of racing, got some good food, made a few money, made enough money to buy her clocks, you know, off her weddings. And uh, then, you know, she takes them home with her. You know, and gives them out to the grandkids, you know, neighbors and what have you. And same thing with, you know, like the T-shirts, the bucket hats and all the stuff that they're given. You know, um, it's really good, you know, for them to do that. And a lot a lot of the tracks are starting to do that. And the thing that I, I think mostly can be done for the horse business to really take off is get the community involved, the non-horse people involved. And when you have giveaways like this, you know, at Saratoga, all, all the tracks have them, Churchill Downs, Pima, you know, everybody. Uh, when you start having that happen, then you got the, the, the novice to come in, the people that don't know very much about, uh, you know, the business. They come in and, and uh, you know, they have that, and, and uh, it's kind of exciting. And, and i tell you one of the things that, that I like, uh, is the museum. Every one, of the, every one of the racetracks have museums, you know, pretty much. Uh, so, like Saratoga, the museum at Saratoga, that's where the Hall of Fame's at. Unbelievable. It's really worth going to see, uh, you know, to go in and see it. And then you have the museum at Churchill Downs. You got one at Keeneland. Um, you know, you got a good uh, uh, facility at Belmont, Saratoga, you know, that type of thing. Uh, then the harness industry. Uh, the harness industry, when you, when you get up uh, into uh, uh, upstate New York, uh, their museum that they have is uh, is really quite interesting, uh, you know, to, to go and see. Um, you have to Google, uh, you know, all these things, and that's the best way, way to, uh, you know, find it, and then you can see what all is there. Uh, like here in, uh, in Lantana, Florida, um, here, which is just right up the road from us here, uh, we have the... Um, uh, the Polo Hall of Fame. And man, I'm, I'm telling you, you go in there and you can actually put your hands on a polo ball and, and on a mallet and, and you can see, uh, how they feel and, and, you know, how, how hard it is to hit a polo ball with the mallet. Uh, you can see the saddles, uh, the bridles that they have, uh, the famous people that have played polo. 
you know, it's hands-on right there. They got good video. They got all the uh, a lot of trophies there that that are given across the world. And uh, you know, again, you know, polo something in thoroughbred racing, harness racing, and everything is something that you can see uh, worldwide. You know, you might be in Italy and you could catch a polo match in Italy. Um, you know, that type of thing. Uh, or a horse show, you know, in Barcelona. Uh, you know, you can, you can do a lot of things, so many things. In the Kentucky Horse Park, what I like about the Kentucky Horse Park and, and things they have there, all the disciplines, you know, uh, the United States Equestrian Federation, uh, the, the FEI, uh, Hunter Jumpers Association, they got all the different associations in the United States have an office there in Lexington. And you can go in and find out about it, get firsthand information on where, you know, what they have going on there. And, and you know, that, that's really good. You know, but it's getting the people, you know, involved in the communities, whether it's a local show, small show, a 4-H show you know, or whether it's an FEI, USEF, or an Olympic, you know, Olympic program show. Uh, you know, that, that's something that's always there, you know, to see uh, that they have. Uh, and like I said earlier, uh, they have um, uh, they have a uh, uh, hiring, they're hiring safety stewards now uh, in Kentucky uh, for horse racing. And, and just about all the associations, like uh, um, the United States Trotting Association, uh, the Thoroughbred Association, uh, AQHA, uh, they're all implementing safety programs, safety stewards, and they're calling them. And they'll be hands-on at the track, and they're not, they're not trainers, and they're not, uh, you know, jockeys. Their, their job is specifically for safety, to monitor the safety aspects of it. You know, uh, if it's raining a lot, um, like a lot of tracks you get, when do you call off racing? Uh, you know, when do you call racing off when it's raining? Uh, you know, like here, we, we have a, uh, some places that have a five or a 10 mile, uh, uh, lightning, uh, cone around them. And when we start getting lightning in the area, you shut things down, you get people out of the way. You know, if it's raining and getting muddy, uh, then, you know, you get people, uh, you know, you tell the trainers, hey, closing it down. Track's getting bad. You know, like they do in the IndyCar. Uh, IndyCar, you know, when that right track starts getting bad, they shut it down right on the spot. You know, and so that, that's what we're trying to do, you know, in, in the business. Um, it's like um, every year, uh, the thoroughbreds, they have a, a, uh, a seminar, like, and they bring, uh, tra- uh, they bring trainers, uh, they bring track maintenance uh, managers. Uh, they bring owners from all around the country uh, into places uh, like, uh, for example, this year, Pisa among topics at uh, Track Superintendent Field Day. And so, what they do is they go in with all these track superintendents from all over the all over the country, and they all talk about it. You know, what is how, how's Pisa helping us? Pisa uh, is a, a program that. Uh, they make sure, and, and they're a watchdog, and they make sure that everything's going good. Um, they make sure that the horses, uh, you know, uh, are being uh, properly medicated. And if they're not properly medicated and, and they get caught, you know, breaking the rules, then they've got to pay the pre- penalty. And, and so we got a, somebody that is going to govern 
you know, our, our horse industry. You know, we're looking at all, you know, thoroughbreds, standard race, show horses, and AQHA, everything. I mean, they have their groups now, you know, but we've got, a, you know, a Federal Trade Commission has approved HISA to do what they're doing. And so that's a big thing. And they will have an actual on-track supervising staff to maintain the property, uh, you know, the proper elements for safe safety with the horses. You know, and that's going to include um, everything. You know, you, you, you're going to have a, a person in charge of something, and you, you'll go down the list. Okay, well, who's in charge here? Well, it's the trainer. The trainer is ultimately responsible for any and everything that goes on. it. You know, that that's what they do. And also, um, uh, you know, then, then you go down from there. Okay, who was care, custody, and control of the barn that day? It was the assistant trainer. Then the foreman. Then the groom. Then the hot locker. Then the exercise rider. So, you know, you make sure everybody's doing their job. And this is going to help with safety and integrity, you know, of the horse business. And I say horse business, I mean everything. You know, so we want to see, see that happen. So now, you know, we got so many doggone things going on here now. It makes your head spin, uh, you know, and it just makes your head spin. And, and we, we need to get things going, uh, you know, for the general public to see. You know, let them come in and understand how it works, you know, why things happen. And I'll give you a good example. Uh, there's a saying called carpe diem, seize the moment. And that's what we have to do here in, in the horse business. We have to seize the moment. And one of the things that I like, uh, back at, um, here a couple of weeks back, uh, we had uh, on the 10th of June, um, we had um, a race at Belmont Park. It was called the Hillendale Metropolitan Handicap. It was a grade two uh, race. And it had a lot of the horses that, uh, you know, with derby potentials and ran in the derby and, you know, that type of thing. Real good, real good field. But there was one in particular horse in there. His name is Cody Wish, uh, Cody's Wish, uh, trained by Belmont. Uh, this horse was uh, a phenomenal horse. He, I mean, he could just run like there's no tomorrow. He was very good. Uh, Godolphin uh, owned the horse. And, um, uh, Again, and the whole thing, the point that I'm making here is about getting people involved. Well, with Cody's wish, uh, he was at the Godolphin Farm in Lexington, and there was a young uh, man that came out, and his name was Cody. And um, he had some physical disabilities and issues and, you know, was very limited in what he could do. So his parents living close to Lexington. They took the barn tour of uh, Godolphin. And a lot of the thoroughbred farms have barn tours and, you know, they're trying to get the people involved and, you know, and, and check it out, you know, and, and the novice people, you know, a lot of the people like me, I like to go to them too, even though I've been in the business all my life, but I just like to go in and see what's going on. And so Cody's father had brought him over to uh, Godolphin and uh, Cody was in his wheelchair and they had some young horses out there. And this one young horse that uh, they had took uh, took notice of Cody. And he went over to Cody and he started no nuzzling Cody and, and smelling him, you know, and, and you know, just sh showing a lot of affection for Cody. And, and the parents were really, really uh, amazed, you know, that that had happened. And so when they got ready to name the horses, uh, you know, and go to often, 
they named him Cody's Wish. They named the horse Cody's Wish. And this horse has just literally been a, a heck of a runner. I mean, this horse can just run. He's won a lot of money, did a lot of things, and, and, and won some big races. And Breeders' Cup, you know, he was there for the Breeders' Cup, and Cody was there. He was he was there. But um, due to some travel uh, arrangements uh, that they couldn't get uh, through here at Belmont Park, uh, it was race 10 at the Helendale Metropolitan. Uh, it, this is a horse that, uh, man, he's something else. It was a million-dollar purse going a mile. And everybody knew about Cody. They had a story on NBC about Cody. Uh, his dad was there. You know, everybody was there. Cody watched it on TV from his home in Lexington. And, you know, it was just, it was a story that's like none other. You know, could Cody win, wish win again? Could he win again? He's got quite a few races in a row here. So this horse gets out. He at Belmont, they break the gate. Cody's wish is so far behind. He's got traffic to go through. Nobody, nobody thought that Cody was going to win it. Nobody thought he was going to win it. And I tell you what, when that horse broke out and he hit the top of the stretch, he come down through there, he was rolling. He was eighth by length, and then he got up by first, and then he, he went by uh, um, three and three-quarter lengths going away. You know, and this horse, this he came through adversity. He's done everything that, that, you know, you could possibly do. Had everything thrown in front of him. And, and you know, it's just like a uh, little Cody. You know, he's got his issues and everything, but every day he gets up and he fights through the day and he makes it to the end of the day. You know, and he loves that horse and that horse loves him. And the people, you know, all together just love, they just love, uh, you know, Cody. And so, let, you know, that's what we're trying to say. It's things like this that get everybody back to, you know, that get everybody back to um, uh, being with horses and knowing about horses and, you know, the whole nine yards. And that's why we place a lot of emphasis on, uh, you know, the safety aspect of what we're doing in the horse business, you know, that type of thing. Um, that that really helps. But, you know, the main thing is is it starts with two things. At the end of my rambling on here, in my opinion, starts with two things. One, it's safety of the horse and the horse people in the horse industry. That's the first thing. Two, it starts, um, we have to have a good start with the the public, the the people, the general public, the education. Uh, They need to understand what they're going to see. Uh, sure, if a horse breaks down, uh, you know, has a catastrophic, uh, catastrophic breakdown, that's all over the news, all over the news. But then when you have a horse like Cody's Wish, you don't see that very often. You know, you don't see that too often. But uh, there's so many things that we can do uh, with the business, uh, you know, places we can go and, and uh, you know, how we do things. But the main thing is about it is education. We got to educate the horse people, the horse owners. We got to educate the the uh, general public, and then we got to take all the information that we can and create a, a program to where the horse industry is safe. 
uh, it's like my dad. My dad was an ocean inspector for many years, and he'd have to go in and look and see if the facilities were safe. You know, there's a lot of times there's little little things here that you and I might not think of, but you know, a person can trip and fall on it, or you know, a sharp edge on on a you know bench, and, you know, at the racetrack would uh, you know could cut somebody. You know, so it takes a lot of people putting in their opinions and telling you about the horse industry, whether it's safe or not. You know, and that's the problem. You know, you got to see something, say something. You know, make it happen. You know, get it get it to be good. But, you know, all in all, this is the month, uh, end of June, is where the owners really have to start, you know, pointing towards the Kentucky Derby. Uh, you got a lot of things to do, and we just talked about, you know, a lot of things, uh, you know, selecting a horse, uh, you know, uh, getting a trainer, uh, feed, transportation, you know, race schedule set up. Now, now's the time, because September 17th is when the Derby point system starts, and, you know, every race, every point counts, you know, so you got to be all part of it. you got to be ready to go September the middle of September for how they get there in the 2024 Kentucky Derby, you know, and uh, it's going to be interesting. Uh, So all I can tell you is horse equestrians and horse people and just the general public, you know, Google horses in your area, go out and see a horse event, do something, you know, where you can, um, you know, really uh, get to know the industry, educate yourself on it. And, And the final note is, is that I got a friend that she's in the horse business big time, big time, nationally and internationally known. It's not live horses, not a real horse. It's hobby horses. It's these little horses that they have uh, that they collect. They're they're like kids' toys. And next week we're going to talk about uh, how many she has, how much they're worth, and how you can get involved in it. So until next Friday at this time, hopefully it'll be storm-free here and where you're at. And we will talk to you then. This is Scott Miller from the International Equine Network saying, go check out the horses.